Golden Globes. Yeah, I said Globes. Golden glo Gold Gloves. Long day. We'll get into it. Gold Gloves. Uh, a former Indian managing in Chicago. How about arbitration? We will get into this on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Guardians. I want to thank you for making Locked On Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is you podcast. And I want to take a second to say today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm going to say this is going to be a fun one. Uh, I had parent teacher conference tonight, and I've been home maybe an hour since, you know, a nice 12 hour day. So I'm a little loopy. And Justin's computer is uh, giving him some issues. And we're just going to, we got some fun things to talk about, and we're going to have a lot of fun chatter. For those who don't know me, I am Jeff Ellis, the host, one of the hosts of Lockdown Guardians, as I have been since this whole thing came together. Before that, I was a lead draft and prospect analyst at Scout and 24-7, as well as many a Cleveland sports blog. Justin, tell them all about yourself. Yeah, so my computer has decided you still don't need to see my face for some reason. I should have that resolved here. Uh, before the end of the week or maybe going in the next week. Anyway, uh, like Jeff, I have been around the block. Uh, many of Cleveland sports blogs, Burning River Baseball, ESPN Sweet Spot, Fan Sided, and I now manage Guardians Baseball Insider, which used to be Indians Baseball Insider, which used to be Indians Prospect Insider. And I also freelance for the Willoughby News Herald and the Lorraine Morning Journal covering Cleveland prospects. Oh. Should we should we lead off with the fun one? Do you want to take the reins? You're the the one who discovered. I, I want to give you full credit about <laughs> a, a Cle former Cleveland first baseman who is going to be managing in Chicago. That's right. A slef, uh, I, I'm sorry, a first baseman slugger from the Cleveland Indians days got a job in Chicago as a manager. It is uh, Richie Sexton. Yeah, we all thought you were going to say Jim Tomey, right? Uh, no, Richie Sexton will be the manager of the Windy City Thunderbolts of the frontier league. Interesting. I don't know. Um, Richie Sexton obviously was a, a guy from the nineties, but thought it was funny to bring up because there have been some whispers about Jim Tomey potentially being a fit for the white Sox managerial job or might hire. I don't know if he's a fit, if they're going to hire him or not. He works in this, he works in the organization, but there have been people on the Chicago beat who follow the, you know, the team closely and who are also beat writers that have talked about him, uh, at least being a candidate. So those two are good friends back from their Cleveland days. I was a big Richie Sexton guy when I was a kid. I thought he was a uh, a good player. I got an autograph from him when I was like uh, 10 years old, maybe younger. And he was at a card shop in my hometown. And the woman who owned the card shop had it used to have a table that everyone sat at when they came in to get aut give autographs. Like Manny Ramirez came in there. Bartolo Colon came in there. And uh, Richie Sexton did not fit at the table. He was too tall. Had to move the table. He had to sign, I think, the stuff on like a some kind of like a stand or something. He was too tall to sit at the table. And I asked him if he ever played basketball, and he said no. So, but that was kind of funny. I don't know. It was a good experience. I, I enjoyed the interaction. Seemed like a nice guy. One of those many like bad trades that kind of happened. Uh, 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 it was that that was the Jason Beret Woodard 
but maybe also Bob Wickman. Like maybe yeah. that's kind of a saving grace. But Woodard Zach was Jackson. supposed to be the big guy, and he was terrible. Yeah, I thought Zach Jackson came over in the uh, from Toronto. There might have been two Zach Jacksons, I think, okay. but no, Zach Jackson was in with the Woodard. Um, okay, so Wick, Wickman was for sure the the crux of the trade for Cleveland. They needed a reliever, yes. but that that was also the year that they went through like a record twenty seven pitchers or something, yeah. and, and they had Bray and Woodard start. And was it like Bray pitched one game too? That was like the thing. Like one, like much, much like John Smiley, one of them got like one game in, then his arm fell off. I mean, Smiley oh. didn't even get a game in, but someone was one game. That was when I went to college. So that was two thousand. Poor like John I, Smiley. I, you know, I distinctly remember. That's listen. Uh, trades in the heart era didn't go well. <laughs> they, you mean uh, Ricardo Rincon and uh, Brian Giles was not a good trade? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Uh, Jeremy sure? Burnitz for Mark Clark. Um, oh, Jeremy Burnitz, what a player! You know the 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 prequel to the Richie Sexton trade was was that one? He he did trade Bartolo Colon for Grady Sizemore. That was a John Hart trade, was it? I thought that was after that he was, was. That was I thought that was Shapiro. Oh, you know that, right, that the was the first move was, was rebuild. You're right. That was Shapiro. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're right. Okay. So Oof, and yeah. I think maybe Tobinsey for Lofton. Top Neasy for Lofton might have been him, but that might have been right before him as well. Was was John Hart the, or was it uh, Hank Peters who made the um, Joe Carter for Alomar and Bayer trade? That was Peters. Okay, because that's the thing. Yeah, like, Manny, Randy that. Ramirez was a Hank Peters. Jim Tony, Jim Tomey, yeah. we just talked about was Hank Peters. Brian Giles was Hank Peters. That tra- like. Albert Bell was Hank Peters. I, I've been, I wrote about this extensively when I was at uh, Indians Prospect Insider, but like Hank Peters. So before Hank Peters was this, uh, I can't think who the GM was, but he was the GM for 30 years and he never had a season over 500. Welcome to sports in the 70s and 80s where you didn't have to be good and you could keep your job. Peters was only the GM for like four years, but his four years represent more war, like, you know, a positive generation of value from like four drafts than every other GM combined. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's your nineties Indians are, like I said, I think, you know, trading for Omar Vizquel, um was, was with, um, was under Hart. I think, I think Lofton was before him. I could be wrong with that, but Manny, Manny Ramirez was also, that was the last of the Hank Peters drafts was Manny Ramirez. So yeah. yeah. People don't realize that, that uh, most of what they did good started with Hank Peters, not really John Hart. John Hart just kind of, he was good at free agency. Like yeah, he's he good at like free agency. He, and he, he was the guy that got like, you know, all those guys signed to pre-arb deals. Yes. Peters Peters yeah. had a hand in that, but that was uh mostly Hart. So yeah. Hart um Peters built it, Hart maintained it, and then uh get, sent it off to Shapiro and Antonetti and all that, which is amazing to think about. We're talking about GMs here. Go back. Cleveland has not had the the Indians Guardians haven't had a lot of GMs. You've had Peters to Hart to uh, Shapiro and Anthony, that's four going back to what, like 88? Yeah, I mean, no, Chernoff's technically what the uh, oh, I think right. like 86. Okay. I think 86 because I want to say the 87 draft was Peters's first. So that's what six GMs though that. since 86. Yeah. That's pretty good. I, I would at some point that's awesome. You should take a look at how many teams have changed GMs since that year and see how I think the Mets have had have. six in the last two years, right? Yep, that's about right. <laughs> if you count so. the ones that were like GM for a day, uh, oops, you know, it's uh, yeah, Hank Peter is definitely one of the people who d- 
deserves so much more praise than he ever gets. And he he sure. built the night he built the nineties Indians. Like there's no other yeah. way around it. More than Hart, he built the nineties Indians. You know, um, everyone who you really look at, like I said, Hart was a genius with free agency. He signed the vets who didn't break. Shapiro's free agency, you don't want to look at your drafts. You don't want to look at the drafts for Hart or Shapiro. It is you want to talk about mm-hmm. why this team imploded after that time? It's because neither Hart nor Shapiro could draft to save their their souls. Um, but Hart did draft Richie Sexton in the twenty fourth round, and he did, and I believe he drafted. Story. Yeah, he drafted CC Sabathia, but it's like I mean that's the only first rounder who turned into yeah. anything. I mean, literally, I mean Tim Drew might be a top three uh, first rounder from the Shapiro era just because he got to the big leagues. Uh, you know, I was t- telling you, regaling you with stories after we finished uh, yesterday's podcast of David Miller, former Clemson first baseman, uh, as we reminisced about D- Danny Peoples and Scott Morgan and uh, when I first started my love affair of my <laughs> baseball. And now that we have alienated the whole audience going deep, <laughs> um, there's like four people who are really excited and everyone else has turned it off. Thank you to the four like, of what you. are you we talking about? <laughs> Uh, you know, if, if you spent some time in, in any of the miners in the nineties, this might've been a fun throwback ride. We're going to, we're going to take our first break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the gold glove awards because there were some fun, hot takes that were hot trash and the guardians have a lot of finalists. So we'll get into that. And then we're going to also talk about some of the arbitration estimates that came out as well on today's locked on guardians. So our first sponsor, and listen, if you've been paying attention, if you are, you know, like one of my students and you are paying attention in class, then you know our sponsor is going to be the good folks over at Bet Online. And Bet Online has you covered. That's right. I'm going to pun away at the start here. They're your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Hey, I'm also going to go off script and say hockey as well. They cover it, and hockey is going strong. I saw the Blue Jackets won tonight, two in a row. Find all the latest player developments, team matchup, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. As always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all sports wagering information. With live betting and up-to-the-mid scores for every sport. Fastest and easiest way to check on all of your favorite games, including the MLB, MMA, boxing, golf, and again, I will add in hockey. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. I sure wish I could give some kind of line on Guardians versus Astros, but I'm sitting here watching... Yankees Astros. I will say I uh, did have a parlay tonight of um I came so close. I had Framber Valdez, seven Ks, I had Kyle Tucker with a hit, I had Bregman with an RBI, and I had Jeremy Payne scoring a run, and I came within um one Jeremy Payne run of scoring. He didn't score a run, but everything else happened. So close. No, I uh, was could I could I have bet on if I had paid attention? Uh, Harrison Bader going deep. I don't know if he's done it. I, I said again. I've been I've been talking to parents all evening. I don't watch any <laughs> yeah. of the game. I assume Harrison Bader is five for five with five home runs based on what he has done over the past week. That's, that's that. No, but he did hit leadoff tonight. So that's new. I yeah, it's the recency <laughs> bias. It's it's always the thing. I'm like, oh, is that the right call? Do you want to risk getting him out of the? You know, he's in the zone. I wouldn't mess with it. The zone is a weird thing. Some guys can live in it. Don't mess with it. Guys in the zone. Uh, so Gold Glove finalists. We're going to skip over the ones where Cleveland isn't represented because do you really want to talk about the debate in right field? I don't think so. So let's jump to center field. Cedric Mullins, Miles Straw, Michael A. Taylor, 
Michael A. Taylor, I believe, won the award last year. Uh, Miles yeah. Straw is clearly the best defender, but you know, there was a I'm not gonna quote the account because one, I don't have it handy, and two, he's clearly a moron and someone bragging about I'll having worked in baseball. And who said that I so I want to read this in 1957, the baseball glove manufacturer Rawlings created the gold glove award to commemorate the best fielding performance at each position. So only has to do with fielding. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I said, I, I, I don't even think we want to bring attention to this guy, but someone made the argument that you couldn't give it the straw because he didn't hit well enough. A gold glove. Mm-hmm. Like someone who doesn't, I, understand the game at all but is somehow in the game so clearly it's jim bowden uh if you want to find 100%. someone who has you know, doesn't understand baseball but you know once was someone in baseball that's uh that's that's your uh best contender uh maybe dan o'dowd based on some of his things we hear on draft night uh I, you know i i could keep throwing people out there but i shouldn't throw shade if i ever hope to have any <laughs> History or any history, any future in this business. All I have is history in this business. Uh, right, same here. But uh, what a dumb statement. Like, Miles, here's the thing. I, I, I talked about during the season, I pulled up the data, and it's really fun to go and look at offensive effectiveness versus defensive runs saved, and you basically realize that Miles Straw is Omar Vizcal. Like They are very similar in terms of Definitely nothing off the field. And then definitely not in terms of position, uh, though they're both up the middle talents. And everyone's like, oh, we need to get rid of straw. I hate to break it to you. The Guardians love his defense, and they value that so much that anything he gives them is bonus. Like They signed him to a contract purely for his defense, and he is going to be the center fielder until that contract expires. He's not going anywhere. I don't think they're going to bench him. Yeah, was it a down year? Absolutely. Do we all think he'd do better? I think so. But I think at the end of the day, what he brings in terms of defense, uh, I mean, he ended up with almost the same war as Ahmed because Ahmed's defense is so bad. They're almost the same value because one guy's defense is so good and his offense is so terrible. And one's offense was so solid and his defense was so bad. I think their wars were very close. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, Miles Straw should be the defensive center fielder. He's the best defensive center fielder in baseball right now for my money. And uh, Justin, your thoughts on Miles Straw? Yeah, I mean, just watching every day, I'd have to, I'd have to agree with you. And if you look at the numbers, um, there were some guys left off the center fielder list, like Jose Siri ended up with one more out above average. He was at fourteen, Straw at thirteen. Of the guys that made the list, Straw is is far and away the best center fielder um, on that list. Ninety-one percent uh, catch rate success. Um, 3% success rate added. I mean, everything, every number backs, backs this. And I don't know how many of these coaches look. The, the gold glove award is voted on by coaches in the league and managers, and they can't vote for their own players. So probably most of these guys are not looking at outs above average. Uh, let's be honest. But um, yeah, Jose Siri was kind of the one guy off the center field list that confused the heck out of me. Cause not that Taylor and Shaw, uh, Taylor and Mullins didn't have good years defensively, but um if you go on there, Mullins is at eight, Straw's at thirteen, and uh, Taylor is at five outs above average. So, to me, of the guys there, it's got to be, um, it's got to be Straw. And there are other spots. I think the only one that's going to be a challenge is Andre Jimenez. Jonathan Scope, his defensive numbers this year 
We're otherworldly. I mean, he Ooh. probably, but I'll say this. It's interesting. The defensive run saved. Do you know who uh, there was? Brendan Rogers it blew yeah. everyone away. And, uh, and scope was further down, but you look at outs above average and it, I mean, Jimenez is number two in defensive run saved. I don't, I don't even know how I feel about defensive run saved. There's just so few metrics that I pulled it up. So we'd have some, some argue yeah it's hard to know what to trust it seems like outs above average is like the yeah it's definitely the one, one i trust, trust the, most. the most yeah i would bet on Quan and straw winning and then i would probably bet scope on beating out jimenez and i would probably say jose finishes in second at um chapman's there right still he's just yeah it's it's hard to get better than chapman's been for at his peak so they oh and then we didn't even mention shane bieber's on the list which Yes. Um, so that's, at- that's the reason I went to DRS because we were trying to find anything to be definable for pitchers. Cause that's, there just isn't anything. Yeah. Like I, if you ask anybody who watched the games this year, besides like anybody who works in baseball um, and just be like, Oh, who did you think was a great fielding pitcher this year? And I would have been like, uh, I don't know. Cause that's such a hard thing to look at. Cause it, sometimes it's just like, luck with fielders pitching pitchers fielding because they get the ball hit back to them and it's just about like reaction and and sometimes just getting their glove out to knock stuff down and not getting nailed by a line drive so i don't know how to evaluate that i'll I'll just trust whatever whoever they go with there i know this is probably the one spot where the award isn't a sham right because we always talk about how um even though that's that tweet from that guy was incredibly stupid about Toronto straw um it, he's he's not wrong like they usually do vote based on yeah Rafael like, Palmero. Yeah. Well, he one example. game. Yeah. They always vote for the guy who like had a good defensive season, but they always favor the guy that had the best offensive numbers to, to, to go with it. So yeah. it was never like uh like in the national league, Victor Robles is the, is the uh, nomination. One of the nominees in center field, terrible offensive player. He is probably going to win, uh, but no, maybe he won't win. Maybe there's a center fielder in, in the national league that, uh, that will win because he hit better than than him. It could be Trent Grisham who didn't. Well, Trent Grisham didn't have no, a great year either. Hit, no, he didn't hit very well either. Yeah, I don't know. But sometimes they do vote based on like the best hitter, best best fielding hitter. I don't know. So he's not wrong. But hey, at least you know what pitchers. You don't got to worry about that, right? Well, I mean, in center field, you can't. No one's got, like Alec. I loved Alec Thomas as a draft prospect. I still believe in him. But he got sent down to the minors for struggling. There is no offensive guy there. No. How about, you know, just a side note, like I spent so much time talking about Ian Happ. How about Ian Happ being now after being like known as a butcher to get nominated in left field is. Yeah. That's, that's quite the man. What a, he would have been look. he would have looked nice. We spent, many of us spent many, I mean, you and I were trading tweets at points with <laughs> Ian Happ uh, yeah. trades. That would have been, would have been a fun get. But yeah, I, I do Juan like Soto had, in right field. Uh, <laughs> maybe not, the worst yeah. defender in baseball. Uh, I did like that they add the utility position. I thought that was, I you know, I, cho- I don't pay enough attention to these awards. I'm not sure when that was added, but I'm like, that's that's something that should have always been. That's added. new this year. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Andre Semenez at second, Jose Ramirez at third, Who? Stephen Kwan in left. Miles Strawn center and Shane Bieber as a pitcher. So I don't know the Bieber who knows about pitcher, but I would say Quan and, and straw. And then I think on, I think Jimenez and Ramirez will not win. And then maybe Bieber will. Cause who the heck knows? That's so confusing. 
you know, who, uh, you know, I'm going to do this. We should probably throw to our second commercial break. But when we come back, Justin, I want you to answer one question for me. Who do you think is going to win the uh, gold glove of catcher? When we come back, we will discuss that in a moment on the show. The answer might surprise you. (laughs) And we're back. Uh, Is your answer going to surprise people, Justin? It might. I was actually going to try to grab some stats, but my first inclination was to give it to Sean Murphy. And I don't know if that's going to be true, but I I think it might be. Sean Murphy has a a lot. Again, like we said, a lot of this is track record and offensive (laughs) stats. So I don't know if I had to guess. I'm saying Sean Murphy, even though he's probably not. Other guys probably had better. Jose Trevino was good. Um was you know like i think he was the drs guy since i got stuck sucked into drs before this uh for those who don't know drs stands for defensive run saved uh mm-hmm. if you want to know how it's calculated you're gonna have to google it i don't actually have that answer. go to fan graphs i don't know but um you know trevino here's the thing about the yankees they're easy to hate uh the second thing is give them credit if even if you don't want to because you know, they, they went all in. It's like uh, Montas and Trevino, that trade didn't work. Scott Efros got hurt. Andrew Benatendi's hurt. But Trevino was another guy they traded for. They almost traded for an entire team over the course of this year to uh, try to make it to the postseason. Yeah, don't forget IKF, too. Yeah. And, and they traded yeah. for Andrew Benatendi for defense, too, and he got hurt. So, Yeah, it's, it's crazy how many moves they went out and made. Uh but yeah, I think Murphy with a chance to go back to back, it seems very likely. Uh, complete player. Like, you know, I were talking about his fan graph stuff. So many people are so set on the idea of, um, of Bo Naylor that they still don't want to even consider Sean Murphy in a trade. I just want to go ahead and, and, and mention one name in particular that makes it. So I don't think you can, you know, classic example of why you can never be superset. Go look up Spencer Torkelson, who was most people's rookie of the year favorite or his teammate. And, you know, you can see that counting on anyone to be sure is never a, uh, a sure bet. And, you know, I think they're still going, this team puts, such evaluation on catcher. Do you think they're just going to go all in on a rookie next year? They haven't done it. I mean, if you go back and look at the catchers they have had, Perez was a midseason call up because Jan Gomes was hurt. It took him a while to get up there. Um, obviously, and none of the guys they've had ever had the track record of Bo Naylor, to be fair. Um, the last guy that really had any track record for them was Sandy Alomar. Like, I don't know. You can't really count Enar Diaz. And oh, I'm sorry, Victor Martinez probably, but that was uh, Santana. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, he had a good, he had a a, a hype, but they didn't go to him till midseason either. I can't even tell no. you who. I think Josh yeah. Josh Bard was catching before him. If was it? No, it was, um, it was not. It was Lou Marson. Before Santana? No, I think it was Josh Bard, wasn't it? Oh, you're right. No. Oh, yeah, it was, was Marson. Because Marson was the was part of because they traded Lee and Blake at the same deadline, right? And then yeah. Marson was the diminished asset, just like Jason Donald. So they gave both those guys opportunities before going to the next yeah. run. And then it's funny that Marson got hurt to give way to Jan Gomes in twenty thirteen. 
Um, and that was basically the end of Marson's career because he got hurt on a collision home plate, a shoulder. Uh, and that gave way to Jan Gomes to catch. And Jan Gomes was a, a, a sleeper trade from Toronto uh, for, for Esmo for, Rogers. Yeah, good old Esmo Rogers. They got Mike Avilas in that deal as well. That's right. Great trade for them there. For It was an Antonetti trade. But, um, yeah, none of their catchers have ever, like, they never had a rookie start season. Like, it's always been they transitioned to the rookie, like, mid-season. And it's been, you know, Victor Martinez, I think, came up in 2003. And that was late in the year. And then Santana was mid Very late. Yeah. And Gomes was kind of called up on a fluke and just kind of took control of the job. And then Perez came up as a defensive guy replacement because Gomes got hurt. Like they've never had a catcher, a rookie catcher start the season for them, I think, since Sandy Alomar. Yeah. And I know other people be like, it's only half a year. Well, again, catcher's a hard position, A and B. Uh, and it's going to get like, harder next year. It's going to yes. get harder. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a lot more wear and tear at that position with the rule changes. And I think just kind of looking at the way things line up, it you know, I they could depend. You know, it's they're going to have to figure out exactly how they want to handle it. But I wouldn't be shocked in the near future if teams carry someone who's you know, near the bottom, not necessarily a third catcher, but someone who has extensive experience back there. Like with the rule change, I think it's going to be a lot more demanding on catchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be clear, the rule changes, in case anybody's not sure, is um, pitchers can only step off or throw over uh, twice and at bat. So if, if, if the guy batting, there's a runner on first with someone batting, um, the pitcher can step off or throw over twice during that one at bat. And if he does that a third time, throws over and he doesn't get the guy out at first, the guy gets to go to second. Um, if he gets the guy at the plate out and the next guy comes up, it resets. He can do it two times again and have a third chance, to, but he goes to second there with third. He doesn't get him out. So pitchers are going to have a hard time holding runners next year, which I think accentuates the need for having a catcher with a good pop time and, a good track record of throwing runners out. And, you know, we're still waiting on robo lumps to take away the, the issue of framing. Although I will say, I think I've heard that Bo Naylor is framing this year. I'd have to go look at baseball prospectuses. Um, minor league database. They have a great database for catcher stats. I think Bo Naylor had a good season framing, he did. but yeah, Brian Lockseed also did last season as well. So mm. take that for what it's worth. But, uh, I think the pitcher clock is also going to contribute to a little more wear and tear just because of like, there isn't that ability to, you got to stay in the crouch. There isn't kind of that ability between, I I feel like you're going to see the pitches coming more. You're going to see a lot more movement. You're going to have to be a lot more up and down um, between, you know, the throw with more base running being encouraged. Um, and we might see more, pitches going wild and things like that, just from mm-hmm. the rush to get the ball to the plate. Um, so I think good, be good defense is going to matter a lot more. Yes. Next year behind it's going to catch your defense is going to jump in value. And I think again, I'm, you know, Bo Naylor is a, is he a top five prospect for me? Um, if he's not, he's just outside. He's definitely top six. I would have to really sit down and nail it out for me. No pun intended there. That just uh, came together on its own. But, uh, you know, I think if you can nail down a 
man, again, unintentional. I swear to God. Uh, if you can get that position set, it is so hard to find good catching. There's extreme value. And the honest goodness truth is, let's say Naylor turns into a monster. Let's say he turns into a superstar, gets that chance to get his feet wet. Uh, Sean Murphy is going to be pretty much just as valuable in a year. And you might be able to, you know, go out and flip him for assets to, to help your minor leagues uh, rebalance or to, you know, maybe you could work out, you know, almost never seen baseball. Is there a weird world? We could work out some kind of the guardians do love a three teamer. I mean, they're one of the few teams that will do that, but it's like, could yeah. they figure something out in a year that helps them maybe add pitching, especially if they, you know, if when Shane Bieber's near the end of his, uh, his time here, but yeah, it's, I don't think, I, I let's put it this way. I think you're crazy if you think catching a set for next year. Yeah, I I like Bo Naylor. I'm probably look. I stayed high on him last year, despite his down 2021 or coming into the season. I thought the the bloodlines, the character, the makeup, all that stuff. On top of the fact that he was young for the level, the missed year 2020. How far they've put, you know, how hard they've pushed him aggressively assignment. Wise, and you talk. You talk about the rigors of catching. Um, I stayed steady on on his value, thinking that he would rebound in 2020. And not that I'm like great at this, because I, I definitely have had plenty of misses. But I at least I thought it was worth giving him a mulligan in terms of what value was there and who he could be. And I think he showed that. But that doesn't mean you hand him the catching job from day one next year. Not not if you can't go out. Now no, look, if they can't go out and upgrade the spot, if you can't land a Sean Murphy, who I think is a number one target on a lot of people's lists, um, mine, probably yours. And they've already shown interest in him in the past and they've made past trades with Oakland. But so like, if you strike out on Sean Murphy, whoever else is out there, then yeah, you might as well go to Bo Naylor. But I think the first option is, and Cleveland will never do it because they never want to have themselves burned, but you could, <laughs> you could devise a game plan where, both Murphy and Naylor are in the lineup. Now yeah. they'll be like, oh, if one of the guys gets hurt, we're screwed, you know, but um, you can you're definitely, you can have screwed for. Guys. Here's my view on that. Just to, sorry to interrupt. Like if, if it goes awry, you're screwed for one game. Uh, if they work right. together and you make it work, it could help you win five games, you know, over the course of a year, 10 games over the course of the year by getting to your better hitters in the lineup then I say you do it like, okay. So there's one, there's always the potential. You might have one game go awry, but you know, so you have one game go. I, I, I kind of, I interrupt cause I, I hate that thing. It's like, well, what happens if things go bad? It's not the postseason, Okay. It's no, I agree. With regular you're season game. No, I, I, no, I, I know I'm not, I'm not criticizing you. I'm criticizing the thought, which is probably actually what the team's thought would be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They, that's why you didn't see, uh, Bo Naylor ever get no game in the postseason because they I just mean, are are so fearful of not having a third catcher on the bench. Yeah, would, on the bench. Yeah, would I mean with the way Tito values and looks at that position, would he? I mean, I feel like he would be pushing for uh, a veteran catcher more than anyone else. Yeah, I was look I, for a while this season. I was team resign Austin Hedges. I was thinking great mentor for Bo Naylor. Turn over to Bo Naylor next year. Let Hedges be the backup great learning guy, great clubhouse guy. Um, Bo Naylor can be your starter. If you need to go to defense late in the game, you put in hedges. If you start hedges and you need a pinch hitter late in the game, you've got Bo Naylor. Um, that could still work out, but 
He looks I'm so a little cooked, con- though. Yeah, there were there were some throwing issues late in the season um, behind the dish, and I actually looked at his pop time, and his pop time has has uh, declined in the last two years. <clears throat> Sean Murphy has, <clears throat> excuse me, is like top uh, top five in the league in pop time, and I think I think um, Hedges fell like twenty eighth or something. And, and yeah, pop time is going to matter so much next year. Yeah, I, I I had heard reports. Now, this isn't his average. When he was in college, some people had him like in the 1-7 range. I think he's like, I think you told me in the 1-9s was his average this year. I mean, he has always been known for otherworldly pop. Like he has some points where he is, you know, as quick as anyone. Whereas Hedges, I don't know if it's just the load that he's had to bear. And, and the thing to remember, it's like, I mean, he has been a full-time catcher for, you know, before he got to Cleveland as well. He was San Diego's full-time I, I just worry that he is, he's a little cooked, that he's a little, that, I mean, that is a position that wears you down. Yeah. And not to mention, uh, we just talked about Cleveland's pitchers, especially relievers did not do a great job of holding runners on this year. Like we talked about um, Shane Bieber allowed nine steals off of him all season in 200 innings. And I think Trevor Stephan and James Karinczak both had like 11 steals off of him, off of them in half, less than half the innings. Um, so, you know, just because Hedges didn't have a good season throwing out runners doesn't mean that he's a he's bad at it. A lot of that goes to the pitcher, but it's going to be harder next year for the pitcher to hold runners on. So you need somebody out there to make up for it. Yeah, Sean Murphy, 189 pop time this season. And Austin Hedges was 195. I know you're thinking, well, that's 0.4 seconds. That 0.4 seconds matters. Trust me, it matters. Yeah. Yeah, there's a and, reason why one was number one and one was 28th. Yeah, uh, Murphy was four. JT Romuto was one, one eight two for JT Romuto. Unbelievable. That's why he got a fat contract. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he can hit. He is the he is the gold and standard catcher. You know, it's and it's the adva- when you have that advantage there. It just it's it's kind of like you know having the. I used to compare it to like having the ace tight end that no one can like block. It just gives you such a positional advantage at a position that most people don't get value out of. So when you can sit there and have a guy that is that good, when most people are running out, you know, Austin hedges types, it, mm-hmm. it, you just, it, it allows you to make up for weaknesses at other spots on your team, other spots in the lineup. Like when you get catcher nailed down with a positive offensive contributor, I mean, Murphy had what a one twenty something runs create a plus this year. That just mm-hmm. helps your lineup. I mean, it, it it's so if you do stick with straw, which again I think they are going to do, it's like it helps balance that out. It helps eliminate a spot that you know almost every team is going to have one or two kind of black hole situations. Uh, this allows you to eliminate one of the most common ones. Yeah, look, good World Series contenders. Very few have black holes in their lineup. Cleveland yeah. had at least at least two or three in the postseason. Definitely two with Straw and, and Hedges. I mean, Hedges, it might as well have been a pitcher up there hitting. Um, Mike Hampton would have hit better than him. Does anyone else remember Mike Hampton? Uh, pinch yeah. hitting for He would pinch hit I mean, for, the, for pitchers. The guy who moved to Colorado for the school district, is that what you're saying? Anyway. I mean, I think it was uh, <laughs> the, what, like $14 million contract at the time, but yeah, or it was like $14 million a year. Yeah. yeah, no, but you're right. That, that's a great point. If miles straw, if you're running it back next year with miles straw in center field, you have got to eliminate one of your light hitting spots in the lineup. You can't go out there and get 
another Austin Hedges offensive season. One of those two spots has to be shored up. And even if Miles Straw is slightly better offensively than this year, which I think he is, um, I don't think he's this bad, but he might not be a plus hitter um, or an above average hitter. But yeah, you need to shore up one of those spots. And we'll have plenty of this time this winter to talk about Sean Murphy and, and that fit, I think. So just for fun, because I'm me, uh, Mike Hampton, 845 plate appearances, a 650 OPS. So yeah, he was better than um, many parts of the lineup over the court, you know, better than straw, better than uh, hedges at a 650 OPS. So wait, just thought it Hampton had a Hampton had a 650 OPS. Yeah. In 845 plate appearances. Yeah. Throughout his career. He had some seasons. Hedges this year was 489. Yeah. I mean, Hampton had, let's see, at peak, he had a, an 891 with uh, 86 plate appearances. Yeah. Austin Hedges for his career, 578. Yeah. So Mike Hampton is a better hitter than Austin Hedges. Yeah. Like, we can just blanket say that, and it's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you can't help but laugh, right? Like, I can, yeah. I can make a blanket statement that, like, uh, a 5'10 left-handed pitcher who hit right-handed was better offensively than our catcher. And look, that, that doesn't mean this is not a bash Austin Hedges thing. We know no, he was team. A, he's, you know, he's a, he's a heart and soul piece. Like, uh, part of me wants to be like, well, if you can't re-sign him, how quickly can we make this guy a coach? Like, yeah, he, you know, it's like... Somebody I will sign him in the offseason. Yes, he's 30. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, I mean, it, you know, it's like, would they... If they're not going to bring back Hedges, would they ever consider Berto again? Or is Berto like like on an MLC cool. just because he's like no one's going to give him money after another injury? I mean, that guy's made a tissue paper, but I wonder wow. I wonder what they're going to do. Uh, we didn't even get into arbitration on today's show because we had so much fun with everything else. But it's like Luke Maley, are they they're not going to give him one point two, which is what he's projected to get in arbitration. So it's like they could be looking for two catchers when the yeah, time unless comes you. Around. Yeah, because when when the season officially ends, you're only if they non-tender Luke Maley, your only two catchers on the forty are Naylor and Lavastida. I don't think they're going to roster David Fry, but he is in the AFL, and I will say if you're looking for a catcher throwing out runners, it is not David Fry. He is not throwing any runners out in the AFL right now. I mean, did he? He he's he's basically there because they didn't have him catch during the season because they didn't want right. him catching for their own prospects. So I yeah, mean, they got, just, yeah, Lavastida and Naylor catching. I know them, they but. had that, but it also felt like they just he's a, like okay. So in a way, David Fry is exactly what I'm talking about. Like if you're going to have a 26 man roster, like there you go. If you're going to run out Naylor and Murphy, and you're going to have them maybe both in a lineup at the same time because they're you know good enough hitters and good enough athletes, and you can get them both in. David Fry is your perfect 26 man. Because he can play first and third as well, third. and he's not yeah. a terrible bat. No, um, he's not. He had he had good power numbers this year. Like yeah. that's exactly and, what guys like him are going to gain value in that situation. Maybe this is all a long game. Like they added David Fry last year for JC Mejia, knowing they were going to go out and uh, get Sean Murphy this offseason. I'm gonna I'm gonna internalize that and Ooh, is that a conspiracy it, theory? Make it an external <laughs> hope. That, and he's a right-handed bat, David Fry as well. Uh, so, you know, we always need more of those in Cleveland. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm going to hope that my internalization will make this become external. Is that a thing? I'm going to I'm gonna wish it into existence. 
You could be. I mean, hey, I'm I'm there. They're, they're gonna, we think they're going to have room on the 40-man roster to maybe do this now. Like, it's not as dire as it was a year ago. And no. if you want to get real interesting with the David Fry versus left-handed pitchers this year, um, a 813 OPS that compared to a 720 against right-handers. So if you need a guy who can hit left-handed pitching off the bench. And then you can let, uh, you know, you can figure out a way that so when he is in, someone is having an off day because your catchers always need rest. And uh, yeah, this could, this could work. I think, I think we should just uh, manage the team. That's my takeaway. We've got a whole plan in place. Uh, we'll get the, the trade done. Right. Yeah. What I know, I know not everyone's going to love it. So make sure to let us know here in the comments below uh, on the YouTube. Remember to download daily and tell a friend. We are, you know, going to continue with this fun, great content. We have been uh, talking about what we are going to do all off season already. We got things lined up, and then the conversations are so good. We don't even we're forty minutes, and we didn't even get to arbitration today. We'll get to that. The arbitration element estimates for next week and if you have not subscribed on youtube we're at 780 that last 220 would be huge for us so please 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 go and subscribe uh subscribe on your friend's account as well uh if you just see a youtube page looking open go ahead subscribe to lock on guardians no one's paying attention to to all their subscriptions i'm kidding don't don't play with other people's stuff but uh if you have not please pay attention do. to your subscriptions please <laughs> yeah uh please do uh Thank you again for listening. And just been a nut. listen, it was a cruddy week, but also a fun week because we got to do this podcast. Any last uh, thoughts, any players that uh, we didn't get to talk to, you know, uh, we, we did get to showcase David Fry in today's episode. So what, who, who did we miss? I'm just going to no sell you on that response. You're going to do that to me every time. I'm just going to, Gonna work I'm having fun with it for now. I'm going to have to figure it's going to be like our where's Waldo is me throwing the word showcase. I'm clocking um, out for the week. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I've been Jeff Ellis for Justin. I would like to say go, go guardians. Go.